I speak to you in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. As you read the Gospels, what's the one thing that Jesus talks about more than anything else? I think the answer to that question might surprise you. Is it peace, forgiveness, love, sin, judgment, heaven, hell, the kingdom of God? Does anyone know? Clergy excluded. Well, I'll ask you another question then. This one I know you'll be able to answer. What is the one thing more than anything else that you do not want to hear about from this pulpit this morning? Ah, uh, you know, but you won't say, will you? Okay, well then I will. Money. Money is the one thing we just can't stop talking about in one way or another outside of the church, but in the church, mention it, and all of a sudden, everything goes silent. Money is the one thing we spend most of our time working for, worrying about, trying to get more of, never having enough of, outside of the church, but inside of the church, never heard of it. Outside, the bottom line for most people, but inside, taboo. Which reminds me of the story that I heard about a well-known Baptist preacher. Brian's already laughing. Come on, Brian, don't give it away. <clears throat> Who challenged his congregation by saying, brothers and sisters, this church has got to get up and run. The whole congregation answered with a resounding, Amen. Brothers and sisters, he continued, this church has got to rise up and fly. Hallelujah came their thunderous response. Brothers and sisters, if this church is going to get up and run and if we're going to rise up and fly, it's going to take money. At which point an old deacon stood up in the front pew and said, Preacher, let's walk. Let's walk. <laughs> Well, inside the church, just as outside of the church, money is not the bad word that people make it out to be. Jesus certainly didn't think so either. In fact, the answer to that first question that I ask you is money. Believe it or not, Jesus talked more about our relationship with money, mammon, material goods, and our possessions than anything else. Roughly 15% of his pre preaching was about wealth and about material possessions. And 11 out of his 39 parables dealt with money. And why do you think that is? I believe it was because Jesus knew just how strongly we're all attached to it. He knew what incredible power it had over us. And he knew just how much time we spent thinking about it. Today's Old Testament lesson, which you just heard, and the gospel, both place the issue of money squarely in front of us to the extent that we simply can't ignore it. And here's why. Because our response to receiving it, that is, our gratitude toward God for giving it to us, after all, He's the one who gives us the power and the ability to earn all that we have, our returning a portion of that to Him is a deeply and profoundly 
spiritual matter. I say that because Jesus also reminds us, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In today's gospel, we see just how central that issue was to Jesus. Right off the bat, we find out that the Pharisees and the Herodians are on the offensive. Their intent is a rather hostile one. They've come to Jesus with a question that they hope is going to trip him up somehow, trap him, or ensnare him. Their approach is a, a rather skillful one, and Jesus' answer is a wonderful example of his true brilliance. The setting for this story takes place in Jerusalem. It's here that the Pharisees strike a rather unholy alliance with the Herodians, <clears throat> people who were loyal to King Herod. <clears throat> These age-old enemies had nothing whatsoever in common with each other except for their mutual distaste and dislike of Jesus. To set the stage for their encounter with Jesus, first of all, one needs to understand that the people living in Palestine in the time of Jesus were being taxed to death by the Roman government, and there was absolutely nothing they could do about it. So the question the Pharisees and the Herodians put to Jesus about taxes was a very natural one. They were all talking about it. However, it was put to Jesus in such a way that he would be caught in a quagmire. The Pharisees and Herodians used a technique that we've all used before, namely, flattery will get you everywhere. Here's what they said, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and care for no man, for you do not regard the position of men. In other words, he showed impartiality to all. And then comes the trick question. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The tax that they were referring to here was known as the poll tax, which unlike income or property tax, went directly into the coffers of the Roman emperor. And here's where the Pharisees and the Herodians adamantly disagreed with each other. The Pharisees resented paying this tax because to a Jew, God was their only king. And to pay taxes to an earthly king was to admit the validity of his kingship and thereby insult God. On the other hand, the Herodians were staunch supporters of King Herod the Roman government, and the emperor, and fully endorsed the tax. They knew where their bread was buttered. The catch-22 was that if Jesus said that it was lawful to pay the tax, then he would be discredited in the eyes of the Jews. And if he said it was unlawful to pay the tax, well, then the Herodians would consider him to be an enemy of the state and an enemy to the very emperor of Rome himself. <clears throat> but Jesus refused. He refused to allow himself to be caught in the squeeze, to be caught in the middle, in the trap that they had set for him. He saw right through their plotting and their scheming, denouncing them as hypocrites, a strong word, 
term that Jesus used some 13 times of others in the Gospels. It actually means just acting a part, as in acting a part in a play or a drama. And demanding to see the coin that was used to pay the tax. Well, looking at it, he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this coin? They answered, Caesar's. As a matter of fact, on one side of the coin was the image, the very image of Caesar Augustus, and it read, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine, divine Augustus. The coin itself was declaring Caesar to be a deity, a god. Then comes Jesus' response to them. Render, therefore, to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Jesus' direct, straightforward reply gave the Herodians no opportunity whatsoever to denounce Jesus before the Romans. And obviously, the Pharisees could find no fault with his devotion of God or his Jewish faith. Jesus' point is really very simple. As citizens of this world, we all have the civil responsibility of paying our taxes, like it or not. In return, we receive many wonderful privileges, many benefits from our state and from our nation. The freedoms and the peace that we enjoy by living in this great land of ours far surpass those of any country or any nation on the face of this earth. That which we give to Caesar, the taxes we pay, are mandatory. If the people of Jesus' day refused to pay this poll tax, the consequences were very severe. They even risked being put to death. If we refuse to pay our taxes, well, it's considered tax evasion or fraud, for which there are also some rather severe and steep penalties. So clearly, the motivation to pay taxes was there for them, just as it is for us. The reverse side of the coin, pun intended, is that we are also to render to God the things that are God's. I'm talking about what we give to Christ and His church. And just what is our motivation to do so? Well, are the demands as steep? Are the penalties for withholding as severe? Well, of course not. But then the Lord sees our giving to Him <clears throat> in an altogether different light than that of paying taxes. He wants us to give cheerfully St. Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. That means that he wants us to give willingly, joyfully, and unbegrudgingly. Not to give until it hurts, but to give until it feels good, until it puts a smile on your face. Do you feel good about your giving to Christ and His church and other Christian organizations that you might contribute to? I sure hope so. But even before we give to God our time, our talents, our skills, our ability, our intellect, our financial resources, God wants us to give Him something else. He wants us to give Him 
our hearts, our hearts of love, and the dedication and the commitment of our very lives. I'll say it yet again. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In his commentary on this passage, St. Augustine insists that when we truly succeed in giving God what is God's, then we are doing justice to God. An interesting expression. And doing justice to God means that we will return to God a portion of that which God has entrusted to us. And just what has He entrusted to us? Well, everything that we are and everything that we have. They're all gifts from God. We say it all the time in church. All things come of thee. All things and of thine own have we given thee. The motivation to give flows out of a heart that is grateful and ever so thankful for the grace and love of God given to us so freely in the person of Jesus Christ. St. Paul had a crystal clear laser focus on just what that was when he wrote these words to the church in Corinth. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it is. Who though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Rich in grace, rich in forgiveness, rich in mercy. There's but one and only one motivating influence for our giving to God the things that belong to God. Don't get me wrong. There are many good, good reasons to give. We can give out of loyalty to the church, loyalty to an institution, loyalty to a ministry, loyalty even to a person. It could all be any of those things. However, however, our ultimate motivation to give ought to flow out of our loyalty and love toward God alone, who has made each and every one of us rich, rich through His Son, Jesus Christ. We give out of sheer gratitude to God for His inexpressible love, mercy, kindness, forgiveness to all of us given in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, if we think that God is only interested in our money, we're simply deluding ourselves. God wants our hearts first. What follows then is a life of faith, a life of commitment, a life of utter dedication to Him, and a readiness to make, yes, to make a tangible response as well, which, like our love for Him, is an act of will. In other words, it's something that we will want to do, something that we actually desire to do. That act of will means regularly and proportionately, proportionately, giving back to God something of ourselves, something of, yes, our time, our talents, our abilities, and also some of our money. It's not either one or the other. It's something of all of these things, something that flows out of every aspect and every facet of our lives. 
Throughout the Old Testament, the standard offering to God was the tithe. You've all heard of that before, right? One-tenth. One-tenth of one's total life and income. You heard that from the prophet Malachi this morning, where God is challenging the people, including us, in this way. Here's his challenge. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and thereby put me to the test. Think about that. God is putting us to the test. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down an overflowing blessing. Well, then in the New Testament, St. Paul tells us this. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside as he may prosper. As you prosper. In other words, however much he's given you. In both cases, the overarching principle is that the Lord is seeking first fruits, not leftovers. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Determine to set something aside on the first day of the week. The first portion of all that we are and all that we have is to be returned to the Lord because of His generosity, His kindness, and His goodness toward us. Being a follower of Jesus Christ and giving of the, the very substance of our lives is as natural a part of living as is breathing. When we render unto God the things that are God's, with a real sense of joy and cheerfulness and, yes, enthusiasm, we can be sure that it will rejoice His heart whenever we say thank you to Him in this way. The wise stewardship of all that we are and all that we have is our loving response to a very loving and generous God. God is always a God who goes by the name of love. God is a God who chose to reveal the full extent of that love toward us by sending His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to take our sins into Himself, to nail those sins to a cross, to shed His blood so that all of us might have forgiveness, us and the whole world. Stewardship is our natural response to that great love. It's our way of saying, thank you, God. Thank you for giving us everything we have and everything we are. Making the decision to give a portion of all that we are and all that we have is a decision between us and God. <clears throat> have you made that decision yet? I know that many of you have. But if you haven't, then I want to tell you a story about someone who made that decision in a rather dramatic and life-changing way. He's someone you've all heard of. His name is Sam Houston, the sixth governor of the state of Texas. If you know anything about him, you know that he was a rugged, tough individual who fought and gambled and cursed and drank to excess. You might say he was one bad hombre. But Houston, Houston married a, a very devout Christian woman 
who prayed for years that he would become a believer in Jesus Christ. Baptism and membership in a church had eluded him. He wanted no part of it. But one day, one day rather late in his life, on November 19th, 1854, to be exact, Houston was baptized in the Brushy Creek. And because so many people couldn't for the life of them believe that this would ever happen to this man, over 250 people turned out to actually witness the event. Well, just before his pastor immersed Sam into the waters of Brushy Creek, he said, Sam, might I suggest to you that you take out your wallet and give it to me? You don't want to get that wet. No, said Sam emphatically. I think my wallet needs to be baptized as well. And so it was that Sam Houston's wallet got baptized right there along with Sam in Brushy Creek, Texas. Thereafter, it's told that Sam Houston paid, oh, Jeff, you're going to love this one, paid half of his pastor's annual salary and, and financially supported ministerial students who attended Baylor University for as long as he lived. Sam's baptized billfold <clears throat> became a part of the witness to Sam having completely dedicated and given his life over to Jesus Christ. It testified to the fact that, that when God has touched one's heart, when God touched Sam's heart, remember, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He also touched Sam's pocketbook. If God has touched your heart with his inexpressible love in and through Jesus Christ, then like Sam Houston, if you haven't done so yet, don't you think it's time for you to make that kind of a decision in your life as well? <clears throat> Jesus' response to the Pharisees and the Herodians is one that we would all do well to take heed to. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The first part of that statement is a given. We all have to pay taxes. The second part is up to us. Are you ready and willing to make that decision? And to make that decision today? It's a big one. And it's between you and God alone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, came into this world to seek and to save the lost like all of us, to redeem us through his blood, to forgive us and cleanse us, to wash us of all of our sins. We thank you that you've given us everything that we have and made us everything that we are. And out of that goodness, we now wish to give you even more of ourselves. We wish to give you our very heart. Then, Lord, use us as you would, and always for your glory and the upbuilding of your kingdom. We give thee of thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone. 
a trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen.